Welcome to the May 2020 episode of RCV Clips. I'm Chris Hughes, a member of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center team. This month's episode is a sequel of sorts, because way back in October 2018, George Gilbert and I spoke with Karen Brinson-Bell about auditing Ranked Choice Voting elections and the promising research being conducted into risk-limiting audits of Ranked Choice Voting. Since then, risk-limiting audit pilots have been run on multiple Ranked Choice Voting contests, and we want to hear all about them. So this month, I'm speaking with Jennifer Morell, consultant at the Democracy Fund, former director of elections for Arapahoe County, Colorado, and risk-limiting audits expert. She's going to walk us through the work done to launch those pilots and where RLAs of ranked choice voting might get piloted next. So Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. So um, I'll start just by asking about how you got involved, because post-election audits and risk-limiting audits in particular have become a really hot topic in elections, especially in the last few years. But I want to hear how you got involved with working with post-election audits. Gosh, how much time do you have, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'll give you the short answer. Uh, I think I really got the bug uh, during my time in the Air Force. Um, one of the things that the Air Force does really well is focus a lot on quality assurance, um, both in terms of having um, documented procedures, but as, as in addition to that, um, regular audits of you know a variety of things. Um, compliance audits um, is probably a better word for it, but you know it um, it was really apparent to me. I think during that time how powerful that was in making sure if you had a job to do and you needed that job to be done with a high degree of accuracy, having somebody outside, some third party come in and review that and inspect that and um, not only helped um, you sort of find those flaws or issues that you could fix, but um, kind of kind of kept you on your toes, I guess. So that's where it started. Um, and then I, you know, years later, I went to work in election administration and, uh, you know, uh, traditional post-election audits were part of the course at the time. So we did a fixed percentage audit when I first started in elections in Utah. And I found value in that, although uh, it was clear that there were areas where that could be improved. And I won't, you know, spend any more time on that. But it was it was really interesting when I went to work um, as the director of elections in Arapahoe County to hear about this idea of risk limiting audits. It was new to me, and I, um, you know, I wish I could say like I embraced it right away. It sounded really confusing, and my staff sort of indicated that um, <laughs> maybe we should just avoid this at all costs. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, as, as history has shown, we, that's not how we approached it. So that's, right. that's kind of my introduction. It's funny. I mean, we've heard that too with ranked choice voting and I mean, <laughs> they definitely have different goals, risk limiting audits and, and ranked choice voting, but I think they both feel like big undertakings. I guess I, I did want to hear a little bit about how you got, um, risk limiting audits up and running in Arapahoe County. Sure. Uh, I wish I could take all the credit for it. <laughs> like <laughs> most good things, and I'm sure you guys find this too, it's all about collaboration and teamwork. Mm -hmm. um, my county had been one of the counties to do uh, an early pilot of RLAs. And as I mentioned, it wasn't, uh, it, it hadn't gone down well. And I think that's because, um, you know, maybe those that were sort of outspoken or proponents of it um, didn't understand all of the uh, 
nuances of handling pieces of paper of handling ballots. Mm -hmm. But um, when I came onto the scene, it was already a requirement um, in Colorado. So I wish I could take credit for it, but it was already a law that we were facing. Um, we knew that it was going to be uh, required in 2017. And I was fortunate enough to be part of uh, a task force or a working group, I guess, that the Colorado Secretary of State put together where not only did we get to look closely at the law, at the administrative rules, but really think about the practicalities. And in between all of those working group sessions, I would go back with my team and we would literally walk and talk through it. We would say, you know, we need to get from A to B. How do we do that? And we started to sort of formulate a plan and walk through that and find where some of the issues were um, and start to just kind of brainstorm our way around it. So it was pretty pioneering, um, but it, but it was it happened because I had a great team of folks um, at Arapahoe to work with. We had a great team at the Colorado Secretary of State's office. Uh, we had great advocates in the community who were willing to lend their expertise and certainly the uh, you know the academics, the sort of birth of the idea uh, were very giving of their time. And uh, we brought the vendors in as well, right? I mean, it's their voting equipment that we're auditing. They should probably um, be, a, be a part of that discussion and that working group so that we could understand how the equipment functions. So it really was about uh, collaboration and, and problem solving. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like it so often is, especially with, with election reforms, with these big process reforms, you need all the stakeholders in a room together to figure out what problems you need to solve and how you're actually going to solve them. Absolutely. So uh, switching gears a little, I do want to talk now about the risk limiting audit pilots you've done with ranked choice voting. Um, so could you tell us a bit about the work you did in San Francisco last fall? You bet. Um, so yeah, San Francisco reached out to me, their director of elections reached out to me and said, you know, we're interested in, in pursuing this. And at first I thought, oh, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this. Um, the software that was available um, really didn't support um, ranked choice voting. And let me just pause and say there's, there's a couple of things when you're talking about RLAs. There are different sampling methods. And the way that ballots are are scanned, whether they're scanned centrally and how they're handled uh, after they've been scanned and well and before as well, sort of that pre and post scanning preparation um, or whether they're scanned at the voting location by the voter. Um, those play a role in the type of sampling that you can do. And I, you know, I recognize that our, our best chance, I guess, to do um, an RLA of an RCV election was we would need to do what we call a ballot comparison audit, which means we find a particular ballot and we compare that to the cast vote record generated by the voting system. And still there wasn't, there wasn't software to accommodate that, but it seemed like if we were going to figure it out, that would be the best way to do it. Um, the other common method, ballot pulling audits, you, you, um, it doesn't require the same degree of um, accuracy and pinpointing a ballot. Um, but in, in that situation, you're not doing a one-to-one -one comparison. You simply take the sample and you hand tally it essentially. 
And that seemed problematic <laughs> because um, it meant getting a group of folks that, um, you know, understand how our CV tabulation happens and, and instructing them to do it correctly. It just felt like there would be some issues. So that was sort of what we were up against. And I went and I met with the San Francisco team and they were fantastic. They just opened their doors. Um, and I really wanted to understand their ballot handling process, which I will just say is superb. It's, it's one of the better, if not one of the best that I've seen in the country. Um, so they had that going for them in that they had this high degree of, of control and um, accounting for those ballots. And that's really critical when you're doing a ballot comparison audit. So once we walked through their process, it was just a matter of thinking about or, or working with them to help them think about uh, how to construct a ballot manifest and how to make that work within their existing sort of inventory and tracking system and, and the way they store and organize those ballots. So we did that. And then happening kind of in parallel with that was, um, the formation of this, again, I'll just call it a working group. They were so much more than that, of uh, a project manager from the IT department in San Francisco, uh, a software developer that worked for the city and county of San Francisco, um, an academic uh, a statistician from UC Berkeley, and then um, two academics from the University of Melbourne and, and a couple of their colleagues. So just this really great group. And they obviously had already done a lot of research and writing both on RLAs as well as ranked choice voting. And they got together and in this just crazy time frame, like a, a very short period of time, um, put together some software that could do this. Not only software that could handle um, running the calculations in the back end, meaning determining the appropriate sample size and ensuring uh, that, you know, drawing the assertions, but also working to create a user interface for people like me that aren't super comfortable in Python or um, Java, you know, Jupyter Notebook or something like that, uh, that we, you know, we had something that uh, resembled uh, what we would say is off-the-shelf software that we could use to operate this audit. So it was all uh, actually pretty remarkable. How short was the timeline? You know, I, I started working with them in the summer of 2019 with the elections department. And their audit was at the end of November. This working group that built um, the, the, the tool to do the audit um, they, it was done in about three months, if I remember correctly. So pretty, pretty short oh, span of time. Fast. Yeah. Yeah. And that really was the biggest challenge that we were facing was we, I, I felt confident that I could walk folks through the steps of performing the audit. Uh, but, you know, not knowing if we were going to have software that could run it, uh, you know, appropriately. And we had, mm -hmm talked about maybe using the Colorado tool or, um, you know, some of the similar, similar things that had been developed for just first past the post elections in, in a way to just prove the concept that maybe that would be the way to go. But they really came through uh, with this, this software. Uh, so it was pretty remarkable. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm, I'm picking up the two, it sounds like there were two really big pieces um, that helped get the pilot off the ground in San Francisco. Well, maybe really three. One was 
their pre-existing like ballot processing, ballot handling processes. Um, two was getting this software together. And three was getting all the experts together to actually, you know, follow through with conducting this audit. Are those the three big things you felt like yes. came together? Yeah. And I think part of what uh, made that happen was you did have these strong proponents, both from the director of election, you know, really committed to making sure that happened to um, their, I, you know, IT, this project manager that really drove this, the working group to create the audits. And then, um, yeah, yeah, I think that that definitely you're spot on with that. That's that's really what made it happen. I, you know, one thing I should note, Chris, we we didn't audit the full election. So <laughs> San Francisco, uh, a large majority of their ballots are cast by mail and they um, are processed in this central environment that I described to you where, you know, they're all brought into one central location and they're, uh, you know, all the verification is done and they're opened and scanned and, and stored and organized. Um, but they have a percentage of ballots that are cast in person and those in-person ballots are scanned in person as well. And so that uh, that's not an insurmountable hurdle. And maybe we'll talk about this later on in the podcast about some of the thoughts since then about how to accommodate both, both methods for handling ballots. But at the time we knew uh, we just wanted, wanted to focus on this ballot comparison method of RLA and that was only possible on uh, those ballots that were, you know, auditing those ballots that were scanned centrally. I think it's upwards of 60% of ballots in San Francisco are cast by mail. It's really a huge amount. Right, right, it is. And so it was a great proof of concept or a great pilot. It didn't do anything to validate uh, the outcome of the election, the the mm -hmm. outcome of the DA's race that we audited of just the mail ballots was different than the overall outcome um, when all of the ballots were, you know, part of that mix. So that was interesting. Right. I certainly learned a lot um, from that about how RCV works and, yeah. and how ballots are exhausted and, and things like that. Choices are exhausted. It was um, a really good learning experience for me in that sense. That's good to hear. You know, the more people, the the more expertise spreads, I think the better we're off we are with, with audits and with ranked choice voting. Yeah, well, I, um, <laughs> I'm going to sound like I'm, um, I've got like a bias or something, but uh, San Francisco's um, voting system vendors, Dominion Voting System, and their, let's see, it's the summary report or like the detailed summary report that they produce after the election that shows each round of voting and how those votes get reallocated. It was honestly, because obviously for RLAs, I have to spend a lot of time with the, the cast vote record and with those um, reports, you know, of the outcome. It was so helpful for me to just go through that report. They've done it. They did a really remarkable job of sort of highlighting, you know, here's the candidate who, who didn't pass you know, the threshold and, and here's how their votes were reallocated. And so just, um, you know, if anybody's listening and wants to really get a, a handle on how that works, I would suggest go look at some past election results um, from from last November from San Francisco and just go through those because they're almost like a little tutorial of, of ranked choice voting in and of themselves. 
good to hear. I'll have to take another look at this. Um, so that's sort of the basics on San Francisco. I wanted to talk a little bit about the primaries, and then I think we can talk more about, um, you know, what's next for risk limiting audits, like you were talking sure. mentioning earlier. Um, yeah. So as some of our listeners may know, the Democratic parties in Alaska, Hawaii, Kansas, and Wyoming are using or will use um, ranked choice footing for their presidential primaries this year. And as part of those elections, you've been conducting similar risk limiting audits. Um, how have those gone? What? How has the process changed since San Francisco for these? Just tell us a bit about it. Sure. So it's actually pretty exciting. Um, so far, it's just been Alaska and Wyoming. And then um, Kansas will be next. I'm not actually doing an RLA for Hawaii. But um, what's what's fantastic about it is now we're not talking about just a single county or a, a, a partial number of ballots, right, within that county, but we're talking about a statewide race. So um, outside of Colorado, I think these elections are the first time that we've had an official statewide contest um, that's been audited, you know, let alone um, audited with a ranked choice uh, voting ballot. So it's it's a pretty big deal. I keep trying to tell them that. Um, it, it went really well. So the, obviously, again, the things they had going for them is they they did decide to to centrally scan all of those ballots. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't the state or local officials, election officials running the election. It was um, members of the Democratic Party. And I, I actually came away really impressed and, and more thoughtful about the type of instructions and guides that we we give to people. I, I was impressed. They really were able to just um, wrap their ha- head around uh, the thought around how ballots should be stored and organized and handled and labeled. Because, you know, it might sound like that's not important, but it's immensely, um, it's, you know, centered on the success of that that audit because it's what um, allows that official who's conducting it to, to select the right ballot or not the correct ballot, right? If we're random, we're saying we're going to randomly select from these 20,000 ballots a handful for you to go find and you've got to find the exact one um, otherwise we end up with a discrepancy in our audit um, how those are are stored and labeled and, and organized are, are really important so they did a great job uh, we had one unusual set of circumstances that I wasn't counting on and that was COVID yeah. I was planning to be there in person and so we had to really think on our toes like how could we do this virtually? So for instance, one thing that, again, this is, I think, first in the nation, <laughs> unique sort of thing. Um, normally when we want to um, draw a random sample, we first create a random seed. We, if those of you that have watched in RLA know, we like to throw, bring people up to roll a, a 10-sided dice. And we use that number to seed a pseudo-random number generator. And we do it that way because it's public. There's some transparency. Um, and it's also, it also prevents anybody from gaming the system or knowing which ballots are going to be selected for audit. So we needed to replicate that. And I wasn't sure that I could find 20 people with 10-sided dice at home that could all join me on a Zoom call um, and roll their number. And, you know, we went through some different sort of scenarios about how we could do that. And then, you know, I thought, let's just keep this really simple. So I was able to go, uh, NIST has a, a random 
they pulse a random number every 60 seconds. And I was able to pull that and use that as the seed. And it worked really well. And it's very transparent. I, you document the date and time, exact time you pull it. And anybody um, can go back and they can look and verify that that's, in fact, the number that we use to draw the random seed. So that was the first unique part. And then just making sure we still wanted that oversight. Um, normally, with your in my shoes and you're coming to do an audit, you're watching to make sure um, you know, that the correct ballots are, are pulled and there's just somebody there observing that process. So, you know, they, uh, they were great. They made sure, uh, you know, wearing masks and, and brought a, a second person in. So there was always two people with those ballots and then we did it all over zoom. So we just set up cameras and I watched them and they watched me and they would hold a ballot up to the camera um, so that our viewers or whoever wants to go back and watch that can see that um, they would, you know, we would verify that the correct ballot had been retrieved. Uh, we used the same tool that we used in in um, San Francisco. Uh, their team in uh, Alaska, the same thing happened in Wyoming, uh, would read off uh, the choices and the ranking. And I would repeat them back and we would, they could, sh I shared my screen so they could see the tool and review that and confirm that I had marked everything correctly. And, and, and then it's like watching paint dry. We just keep repeating that process, <laughs> ballot after ballot after ballot uh, for a couple of hours. So, um, yeah. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like things went pretty smoothly. Like you, it, I hadn't even thought of the fact that outside of Colorado, no one else has done a statewide audit of any contest. That's pretty yeah. amazing actually to think about. It really is. I mean, we've done a lot of pilots to be fair. And, yeah. um, you know, even some of those pilots have, have you know, involved a, a larger quantity of ballots than what we, you know, audited with these. But I think it's remarkable, the fact that they were statewide races. Um, I, I think it's pretty remarkable. And to, to why I'm here on your podcast, you know, every time I told people, you know, I'm doing this RLA and it's an RCV ballot, and they'd go, can you do that? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and we did. And it, it went really well. So, you know, I'm happy to say both states um, met the risk limit and, and I'm, I'm working on the reports right now. So I, we're running out of time so i only have a couple more questions some of the democratic parties pledge or assign delegates at the statewide level and at the county or at the congressional district level as well were you auditing all the levels of the election or were you auditing just at the state level yeah i wasn't auditing that in the way that de delegates were allocated uh they actually brought a different team in to do that so i was just auditing uh, the way that the voting system interpreted each of those ballots and the way that it drew the the final conclusion that um, uh, ultimate, you know, two candidates that passed the 50% threshold. Yeah, I wasn't auditing the way that delegates were assigned. Um, so last two questions. What are, uh, I feel like you've covered some of this, but might be just good to repeat. What are the lessons you've learned from doing all these pilots? What are the, your like three big takeaways? Well, um, I, you know, I can't say enough about uh, ballot accounting. You know, just the way being really meticulous and thoughtful about how those are handled and stored. And there's, 
there are definitely environments where that's easier. And I will admit that this was an easier environment. We had a lot of control um, over those ballots since they all came into one central location. Um, ballots that are scanned um, at a precinct polling location. Um, you know, there are some challenges around that, but it's not, um, it, you know, it's they're not insurmountable. And we've certainly had some successful pilots using uh, ballot polling methods. So, but I think um, in terms of RCV, one of the things we need to think about as we move forward, we think about it, it we definitely need to have a tool. I think this is going to be too challenging. Unlike, uh, you know, a single uh, single winner contest where we can do ballot poll. Ballot polling, I think I mentioned, requires you to currently just sort of take this whole sample and hand tally those, and then you're you're auditing the results. You're you're comparing that to the originally reported results. That's going to be, I think, too challenging, uh, perhaps, or or fraught with error on RCV. So it definitely needs a tool, and and it's exciting to see that we've got one. I think the next thing is just thinking about how to make the tool more usable. Um, I learned firsthand, but I'm sure a lot of uh, voters who have who've cast a rank, rank choice ballot. You've got this whole list of candidates, and you've got all these rankings, right? And as they were reading off to me, you know. Uh, you know, Biden, this position, you know, Warren, this position, Klobuchar, this position. Um, I had to really, really take my time and really look carefully to make sure that those were lining up. And like I said, we had a pretty robust review process to make sure that that happened. But thinking about just the design of an audit tool in that environment will probably uh, be something we'll want to pause and do before we push this out. And then, um, I'll just point everybody uh, to the paper. It's called You Can Do RLAs for IRV. I don't, I'm guessing you guys maybe have that on your website. If not, I'll make sure you get a link. Um, it's most of the folks I mentioned on this working group that, that produced the software to do this. And what's promising uh, is that, you know, they are thinking about how, how can we manage this under both conditions, both the ballot comparison as well as the ballot polling, um, and how can we utilize software to help us um, use both, which means we're not just excluding this type of audit um, on this type of ballot to only ballots that are scanned centrally. How do we make sure it works um, in jurisdictions where ballots are scanned at the polling location? Yeah. So, or a mixture of both, right? So that research, that, it is really promising. Um, and, you know, I guess just to kind of add, you know, you asked me like my three takeaways and I, I probably rambled through two or three of those already, but is right where we started this, Chris, and it's all about collaboration. And I couldn't have done this without some really good collaborative partners. Um, I mentioned the folks in Melbourne um, and I'll say your name because I don't think she'll mind, but Michelle Blom is there. And she was just like incredibly helpful and generous with her time, her thought, willing to kind of work through some of the issues, um, help me navigate the software. And, um, you know, Philip Stark as well at Berkeley, you know, both just, you know, really wanting to think about like, how do we make this work? And, you know, in addition to the folks in, in Alaska and Wyoming, um, giving their support. Uh, Vote at Home, um, obviously, is who brought me in on all this. So, you know, we have to credit Amber and, and Vote at Home for getting the ball rolling on this to begin with. But I think 
what I'm trying to say is it's not something you do on your own. It needs a whole team of people uh, championing, uh, cheerleading, thinking about the research, thinking about the design, thinking about the administration, uh, which is really my expertise. I just pretend I understand all the other stuff. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the operation side. But uh, that's that's really my takeaway. I think uh, none of these uh, challenges are insurmountable. We just we just need to keep bringing the right people to the table um, and keep pushing forward. Absolutely, it's just so true about any any big project, any big public work is. Nobody, you can never do it on your own. You've got to get a team together of the people who are connected to your community, of the people who are, you know, behind the scenes working on that, that this sort of thing every day, the experts who, who, you know, create these new public procedures, create audits, invent new voting methods, whatever it may be. Um, you have to get this team together of people who understand all the domains that, that you're suddenly changing and interacting with. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's that's our time. Thank you so much for uh, getting on and sharing your expertise, Jennifer. My and now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Rosemary Blizzard with this month's final round. Did you know that Benton County, Oregon will implement RCV for the first time this fall? Voters there will elect their county commissioners via single-winner RCV in the first RCV elections in the state of Oregon since the 1950s. Plus, Oregon conducts all their elections by mail, so voters will have the opportunity to rank their ballots at home before sending them in. And that's the final round. Thank you for joining us today for our May RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Follow us on Twitter at RCV Resources, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and check out our website, rankedchoicevoting.org, for more RCV resources. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast, too. Our theme music is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. We hope you're all staying safe and healthy and protecting yourselves and your loved ones from COVID-19. Thanks to Jennifer Morell for joining us today. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of Rosemary Blizzard and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.